Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Dor. How are you? How's London? Um, I had a really busy week, but I'm uh, currently watching Israeli news because we're in the midst of the, fingers crossed, the second hostage release. And there was, there was an ultimatum from Israel saying that if the hostages' second batch aren't released by midnight, they're going to continue the ground invasion. And uh, right now it's what time is it in Israel? It's like 11 p.m. So we're watching in real time. But in the meanwhile, I have a memory that popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when we were in advanced training of the army and you almost killed me with a live bullet? I mean, this is an exaggerated story, okay? I remember it was intense. You don't remember because, okay, let, I'll paint the picture. Or do you want to paint the picture? Because I, I'm afraid that you're going to paint. I'll tell you my version, news. then you okay, tell me you your go, version. You go with your fake news. My name's Jeff. I'm calling in from California. My name's Dora, and I'm joining you from London. Out of 16 million, we are two. Two freaked out Jews. Okay, we were learning a combat maneuver of capturing a hill in, in like, the shetach, which, which means, like, the, how do you explain that? The field. The field. And we were, like, climbing up a hill, and we were in teams of, like, three soldiers, and... When the first soldier jumps up, there's one shot from the soldiers behind while the soldier jumps up in the front, shoots and runs up to a covering rock or something. So I, I was number one and I jumped up and I was shooting as I was going. And then I hear this huge like hullabaloo whistles. I don't know what, how they stopped us. Which means like stop firing. And I didn't know what was going on. I was just like shooting and running. And our commanding officer like took the whole battalion up to the top of the hill and and said that like screamed at us because there was live fire behind me. Rather, it was supposed to be one shot as I stand up, and then people behind me stop shooting, so they're not shooting in my direction. And apparently, door was shooting in my direction. That's what I remember. Okay, let's let's uh, so let's tell the real story now, shall we? No one. No battalion, no battalion was called up. There was no like major stop. Let's, I'll, 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 I'll clarify. Basically, I mean, what you said at the beginning was correct, that we're doing a maneuver and the way you maneuver is you, you're basically four, it's actually four people in a line and, you, and you're all in your sort of a, a lane running up a hill and you're, you're firing. And in order to move forward, you go in numbers. So let's say, as you said, Jeff, you're number one. So you say number one's running and you run, let's say, five meters forward. And Achad mit der leg! Exactly. And then you lie down. In the meantime, we stop firing because obviously we don't want to shoot you. And then you can, now you're five meters ahead of us. You give us covering fire for number two to run up, five right. meters to join you, three and four. So that's correct. So... Now, obviously, in a real war, people do still shoot because you can't just stop shooting. But because it's a training exercise, um, as soon as number one goes, number two, three, and four stop shooting, so not to hit them. However, you're meant to be shooting in your own lane, so you should never, unless someone runs diagonal, nothing should happen. So what happened from this uh, exaggerated story that you tell, Jeff? <laughs> You started running and I didn't. I didn't hear it, so I kept on shooting in my lane. And then you. And Wait, I, you're saying I didn't say a hard middle leg? No, I didn't, I didn't say you didn't say it. Maybe I didn't hear it. Uh, bullets. Okay. Bullets allowed. I don't. And, remember, and we have so like. I don't remember uh, if I said it or not. Good uh, chance I didn't say it. It's a good chance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the level of Hebrew was poor. So, um, <laughs> so you ran. I didn't hear or whatever, and I kept shooting in my lane. You were no. There was no danger to Jeff. No danger whatsoever. 
and and then obviously they they said stop and i'm like oh i didn't whatever not everyone was called up it wasn't an exciting moment it was for you jeff because you your life flashed before your eyes although you didn't even realize no it's fine also i was the center of attention i was everyone was like wow jeff what happened you were (laughs) at no point were you in danger hey dort um should we explain how we found ourselves on this hilltop (laughs) shooting at me like yeah how you came from london how i came from Massachusetts, and we found ourselves in the Israeli army. I think, yeah, you're right. We ended up in a program called Gerin which is a program that assists soldiers who are coming to Israel to join the army without any sort of family support or their family is basically abroad. So to put it in context, Israelis, when, you know, when they reach a certain age in, in, in school, they, it's sort of like um, Americans or British people, when they're, when they're near to finishing school and going to university, um, you know, the school helps them with the transition. So in Israel, before you join the army, there's a whole process to help people with transition, how you go to the army, what tests you need to do, how to pick your units, how to prepare, etc. For people coming from abroad, like you, Jeff, like me, we, don't, we, we were never part of that process. So they created a, a program called Galin Sabal to help um, basically... Acclimate us to soldierly life. Yeah. So what it was is we lived on a kibbutz. um, And if you don't know what a kibbutz is, just listen to a different podcast. Um, So we lived on a kibbutz. (laughs) All right. Sorry. No, no. If you don't know what a kibbutz is, just Google it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't want to get into, like, we can get in the weeds here. So we lived on a kibbutz on the northern border called Kibbutz Sasa. And it's right on the border of Lebanon. Great place. Really amazing. Like, it was like heaven. And all of these soldiers half guys half girls we all lived in a big house together and we were from all over and we were all going into the army together and we didn't have parents in israel the idea is to create sort of a mini family um and a place to live because you don't have a house because you came from abroad and you know as you said jeff we came from all over so obviously i was from england um i do have family in israel to be fair but um i didn't have my parents and I was from England, you were from America, and you had people coming from all over America. We had Canada, Ireland, Scotland, Austria, France, um, France, Colombia. Where else? Colombia. Yeah, we had a very international Garin. I should also mention that when we moved, because we we moved to to Israel, we started this. um, It was August 2006, in the middle of the Israeli Lebanon War, the Second Israel Lebanon War. And the, the as you and mentioned, everyone was scared, and people and people dropped out. They didn't want to like continue. They're like, oh god, why are we joining the army when there's a war going on? Exactly, and and I mean to be fair, we we, we only joined the army in November, but yes, we joined. We went to Israel during an right. active war. We and came to make the decision, and it was the middle of a war. My parents were very scared. People dropped out. We have a friend named Micha, and his dad, who was a soldier in the army, he had a line that I that like really persuaded me not to drop out it didn't really cross my mind to drop out but he says he said something along the lines of i'll say it in hebrew and then we can translate he goes mm-hmm. um it translates to it translates to if there's water jump in if there's if there's a war um sign up i'm not sure exactly. if, i'm not sure if that sentence really gives any justification for why to do these things but 
Um, never mind. To me, it was poetic. It clearly, to me, it was poetic. It clearly worked on you, so uh, that's okay. It was just like simple and poetic, and I was like, okay. You do like <laughs> you do like your poetry, Jeff. You do like your poetry. I think it would have less the worked on me. It was more like a, I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. But um, <laughs> but it, but it's important to note, as I said, <laughs> that you mentioned the kibbutz Sasa, which is on the Lebanon Lebanon border, and we we couldn't. From security point of view, they didn't want to move us um, to that kibbutz. So actually, when we arrived, we stayed in, in a hotel in Jerusalem for a couple of weeks until we were until there was because there were rockets fire. flying right over our kibbutz. But we hadn't even lived there yet. And yeah, yeah. Like, there they were just Katusha rockets going over from from Lebanon, like over maybe hitting the fields of our kibbutz. So we stayed in Jerusalem with other Garinim, with other groups from other kibbutzim. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then, obviously, eventually, we we went up there, and you know, sort of the you know delayed anticipation, and it was a great place, great people. I loved it there. Um, still, are you talking about Sasa? Or are you talking yeah. about the hotel? Oh no, sorry, I was talking about Sasa. Um, we and eventually yeah. we moved. Uh, we went back to Sasa, and you know, I'm still in contact with uh, my. We all got an adopted family there, and I'm still in contact with my adopted oh, family. Yeah, of course, and um, me too. And my 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 son's middle name is Sasa. If that tells you how much I love that place. That is the biggest sort of compliment you can give to a place, isn't it? So yeah, that's how we that's how we we sort of met. We met on, on this program and, and, and then we had a couple of months, uh, because we actually only joined the army in November, but as I explained working Yeah, well as I explained working on the keyboards in the field, yeah. There's a couple of things you have to do before you join the army. You have to do um, you have to do the psychometric tests to see um, you have to do some physical tests to see if you're what, what you can do. Um, certain people want to go into particular units, so they have to do tests like that. The, the army assesses if you're, if you're... Yeah, you get a thing called a Kaaba, which is like your mental, your mental and physical... Uh, and Visparishi. Okay, all this is coming back to me. You get a number <laughs> that... You get a number that, ex, that showcases your physical and mental status to either be... To see if you're eligible to be a combat soldier. Yeah, that's not Mispalishi. Mispalishi is your personal ID. What you're talking about is the, oh, yeah, your the... profile. But Karen. Wait, what, what was that called? Profile. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, profile. That's right. It's been a while, where I can't remember all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> hold on. So the highest score you can get is a 97. Because no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And humble brag, <laughs> that's what I got. Well done, Jeff. I don't remember what you got. Did uh, you get 97? You did. Yeah, if you don't have any major um, physical issues, then you, you probably get 97. I really but... doubt I would get a 97 today. <laughs> so obviously that's how we, so right, that, that's how we sort of met each other. We, we lived in, in, in the Sasa. We actually lived in the same room and we joined the same unit. Um, yeah, yeah. Real quick, not everybody in our house joined the same unit. Everyone went to different units. Different yeah, yeah. Units. People had a choice, whatever. One, we joined the unit called Nachal. Um, Green berets, and we requested we requested that unit. Yeah, right? because I it's, put that as my number one request. It's known as a unit which, um, back in the day, was known as a unit which is a lot of people that come from kibbutzim or moshavim, and therefore, um, as we were in the kibbutz, the caliber of people would be similar, uh, nicer. Again, it's a little bit different now. I think it's much more mixed uh, in the army now, but that was the perception the unit there, had back the then. The different infantry units had stigmas. Yes. And the stigma of Nahal was like guys who come from a kibbutz and play the guitar. And yes. the stigma of Golani, the unit, 
is uh, Mizrahim, like soldiers who are Mizrahi and maybe Arsim. Is that rude to say? I don't know. What's uh, the stigma of Golani door? I mean, the, the stigma of Golani is more like, uh, well, if I use a British term, it's like lads. Arsim, Guidos. Yeah. It's, again, I think it's completely changed now. The, they try to combat it's all these stigmas. Now, but that's how it was before, and so that, that we jo- we decided to join Nachal, and we did. Um, not everyone, as you said, and we joined in November two thousand six. So the war was over, thank God. Um, and yeah, and then we we used to come back home to to Sasa um, every couple of weeks. Depends when we were let out. So that was uh, was a good place to come back home yeah. to. Yeah, very good place. And let me just paint a little picture for you what it was like coming back from the army. So we would come back, weathered, tired soldiers, and we'd stash away our rifles, lock them up, take off our uniforms, get into our bathing suits or our clothes. And what I would do right away is, I would first of all, I'd probably take a nap and eat a bunch of snacks, and then I would go to the pool, jump in. There's a great big pool in this kibbutz. Then we would come back, rest until Shabbat dinner. And we would take showers, get dressed up nice, go to our host family's house, shout out Ginsburg's, and we would do, we would light Shabbat candles. And then we would go to the dining hall, have a great dinner, and then we would go to this place called the Moadon, which is a coffee house. Um, I would chain smoke cigarettes and play chess and drink coffee outside. And um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So my version of coming home is very different to yours. You're like, you came in, you chucked your bag, you went off to the pool. With me, I'm like, obviously, I'm more organized. I like, I empty my bag, get the laundry ready, put everything, you know, if uh, I had to like uh, find additional supplies, like my toothpaste run out, I would organize everything. Like I would try to get everything done before dinner so I can like fully relax. We should actually say that uh, because it's a kibbutz, um, in Israel, there's lots of kibbutz. Masasa is actually still a real, you know, communist, uh, kibbutz where they share stuff so on friday night the dining hall was open to everyone i mean you can have dinner at home if you want to as you said you went to your family then you went to the but really all the kibbutz comes and has friday night dinner together which was really nice um and then we went to that um Mordon place but really I, I i never liked staying there that much as you said i like to go home i organize so you the didn't room. go drink coffee with us no, I, I did, but then I was like, I want to go home and, you know, either I'll watch, like, a TV show so I can relax, like, without anyone. You would, like, can... start pre-gaming for the pub already. Well, like. well, you know, I also wanted a bit to relax because, like, the whole week you've got, like, people on you the whole time and you kind of want to be by yourself. So that was a good time to be a little bit by yourself, especially because we lived in the same room together. But then I can obviously... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I could obviously smoke a bit of Nargila, which people used to come and start... Um, and then we started getting the alcohol ready um, because we had... You would prep the pregame because after the Modon, we'd all start yeah. drinking. It's true. And yeah. I... So um, Sasa was really good. They had actually a pub or... It was a pub slash bar slash club because they had like music. Yeah, it was like a... It was a lot of dancing. It was in a bomb shelter under the ground. Well, that was one of the coolest things. So even when there was a war, they could still go to the pub uh, in the kibbutz. Right. And... What was really fun about that place, obviously, all the drinks were subsidized because this is a you know a communist uh, <laughs> village. So um, <laughs> literally, just open tab. Ex- we never paid for a drink. Full bar. What do you mean? You were meant to pay, Jeff. 
Okay, I never paid it. Jeff I, I never paid. paid. I don't know. This is why. This is why. <laughs> this is, that's why the communist system fails when people don't do. But technically, you're meant to pay. Was but subsidized. I wasn't trying to take advantage of it. I just didn't know how to pay. I just wanted to get drinks. And they would like, uh, write my name down on a paper. Ignorance is bliss. But uh, no, but <laughs> we we and it doesn't matter. We bought so much alcohol from before, which we did. Uh, we get we got an allowance for our house the kibbutz gave us and we used it all on alcohol and then uh, we ca- went out to the, to the pub and had some music first of all if you go to Sasa to the pub it's not in the bomb shelter anymore today which is kind of sad to me it's now in its own building but back then we were down I have not this... been to the new one you know I've not been to I one. have so it's now now it's in like a barn but it used to be down in the bunker and we would smoke nargila which is hookah for who, those who don't know it's like there would be like six hookahs shisha hookah nargila There'd be six Nargilas going around the tables, and there was always a, the same crew, like, smoking while some people were drinking and dancing. Cigarettes were allowed down there. It was, like, it was, it was, I liked it. It was, it was, it was a great fun not. place. It was close to our house. You and, can, by the can... way, the people who were at this pub were not just Argarine. It was the Kibbutznikim. It was all the people, the young people and a couple of not young people. Yeah. Just yeah. All at the bar having a, drinking, yeah. And that was really fun to, to, like, interact with them. And with and, you know obviously our people and I think we brought a lot of uh, life to that pub, um, so there was fun and and I brought my own music, um, which I think eventually people liked, um, so that was good, and yeah, so I think we had we had a really good time, you know I think the we, dancing we did down there was like some serious exercise. I just remember being drenched in sweat, <laughs> and re- <laughs> reeking of smoke and like like trudging back to our house. Because it's, it's a walking distance, like a five-minute walk to our, re- our house with, with our friends. And I would always just, like, make some sort of elaborate, crazy sandwich in one of those sandwich presser machines when I got back. Yes, and, 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 you, and, you, clean, and you always cleaned up after yourself, Jeff. Uh, I never cleaned up. No, no. So, again, you're the reason why communal living doesn't work. You don't pay for your drinks. You mess up the, the kitchen. It was bad. I just had the hummus and pita. Okay, so that was our that that was our our weekends off from the army. Yes, and then the army was the army. Yeah, imagine being a Garin member now. That would be very scary. Yeah, I. It's interesting. I mean, obviously they they're constantly in the army now. They I think there's there's a lot more Garin Sabar Kibbutzim now, so it's a little bit different. Um, some of them are we still drafted in-, in November. We drafted in November, and it is currently November. So there's. There's young Doors and young Jeffs right now who are shitting their pants. <laughs> well, like probably we the ones the that drafted. The yeah. ones that drafted now, I'm guessing. I mean, they have to train them, so it's a bit too early. Yeah, they have to go to basic training, but still, they'd be shitting their pants. I oh yeah, I was really nervous about the Lebanon war when we when we were first. In fact, I went home to. I America. mean, you're anxious anyway, uh, Jeff. So I'm anxious anyways. I'm a freaked out Jew. But I went <laughs> before we drafted into the army. Before I was in Garin Sabar, I went back to America for the summer, and um, my parents took my passport, and I had to go like by myself. They didn't want me to do this; they were not like fans of this move I was doing. So they went, and I went had to go to the Israeli consulate alone and just like get myself an Israeli passport um, in order to do this. Wow. Well, I'm guessing as soon as they heard about the war, they were extra not happy. Then. <laughs> that's why. Like, it was very scary for them. But then I went through with it. I, I, I flew, and that's when I met you. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Okay, um, let's check in on the hostages. What's the latest door? Yeah, it looks like it looks like um, they've been moved to the Red Cross, uh, the hostages. 
That's oh, the, the latest, second batch? The second batch. That's what it's saying. But, you know, I... Oh, I didn't know. That's news to me. Well, it's just happened now. But I'm I'm always, uh, you know, I, I want to see them on Israeli soil. And then, I'll be, then I'll be comfortable. So let's see how this progresses. All right. I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but actually I was thinking about how we're releasing uh, Palestinian prisoners, Hamas Nicks that we're returning. Well, Whoever. Depends, depends I, what uh, Instagram, if, if you listen to Instagram, they're all lovely, innocent, peace-loving people, right. but yes. Part of this deal is that Israel can't surve- use surveillance while the hostages are being moved around in Gaza. Is that what I understand Israel, correctly? Yeah, Israel is not technically not allowed to surveil in Gaza, but it doesn't say that we are not putting all the prisoners that we've released under surveillance. And I can tell you a lot of them will be going to right back into jail. Okay, but the finished. Israeli prisoners that are being shuttled around, can we, is there any, you think that there's some sneaky surveillance Israel's doing to watch where they're coming from and maybe we can do like a Sayeret Matkal mission to save them? Or like- so even if Israel knows where they are, because we still have hostages, they have to act as if they haven't surveilled, you know, done any surveillance. Because th- this is the problem, the, pro- the hostages is the problem. How, how do you think, how do you think Hamas knows if we're using surveillance or not? And it's well, if you just, if you randomly, if you after today, for example, randomly, or after we finish this first round of hostage releases, you know, up to like 50 or 80 people, let's say, um, if you then go knock on their door, they're like, well, how did you know? Oh, okay, then we'll kill the rest of the hostages. So they can't so, see our surveillance. It's not like some like those white blimps you see floating around. No, no, I, no, they won't be able to see it necessarily. I'm sure we can do it in a, in a covert way. But, Satellites. But your actions, they will be able to see. And at the moment, we shouldn't be doing anything that, to put the hostages' lives at risk, in my opinion. It's like a bank robber who like stole a million dollars and then the next day is driving around in a Ferrari. Exactly, and that's that's the situation. I think the most important thing is to to safeguard uh, these hostages when we when they're on Israeli soil. Then we can all breathe a sigh of relief. But I'm sure Hamas will um, will come up with something new to to you know emotionally manipulate us tomorrow with a new <sighs> release. But you know what? If we get these people back, then let's deal with the emotional manipulation. The videos of. The, the released hostages have been making me so emotional watching that kid with the glasses. Do you know his name? Uh, I could tell you, I, I, you know, I was like sobbing watching those videos today. Um, I saw him eating schnitzel and I was just like, oh my God, I'm so happy. This kid's having his schnitzel. Yeah, it's, it's very emotional. And I think the reason, part of the reason I'm like able to be like jokey right now is just just because I'm so happy for the prisoners that were really released. So I was just and that's okay. I think that's okay. I yeah. think it's okay to have ups and downs. You know, this is going to be a long-term yeah. thing. So we're going to need to be able to do up and down. We need to be able to relax. It's, uh, it's normal. It's speaking of the James Bond spy op stuff we were talking about, I saw, I didn't really delve into it or like fact check it, but I saw something about how BB... Benjamin Netanyahu like s- said publicly that he has given the Mossad the go ahead to assassinate the the top tier Hamasniks like um, Hyena and Mashal and two things. Obviously, I think that the Mossad should take them out in Doha or wherever they are. But um, I felt like Bibi's announcement of it was like a little self serving. Like like if now they do get nabbed by Hamas, like what should happen he's gonna be like i give them the go ahead what do you think about that yeah i mean 
it, it's pretty obvious that we're that we're going to go after these people. It's sort of like the whole you know Munich thing that we went after Black September. It, it these people will will um, will look over the shoulder the rest of their lives. But again. They don't care. But there so. was a New York Times article where a New York Times reporter interviewed some head Hamas guys. And part of the article, it was talking about how they, they were shocked that they were having the interview in a hotel lobby. And another interview in like some guy's million dollar mansion sipping coffee. Like it doesn't seem like they're hiding in bunkers. It seems like they're out and about in Qatar. Again, it's um, you have to remember, it always goes back to the hostages. As soon as we don't have hostages there, um, then then you know the gloves are off. That's why your lo- your logic your logic and I'm passion. Like I want to just go and like grab them and trade the hostages for the head of Hamas. But you're like, no, no, no. Let's let's slow play it. Okay, I get it. Okay, so we started this episode. We were still waiting for the second lot of hostages. I've been monitoring as we've been chatting. Jeff and uh, currently, so they just revealed the uh, the next group of hostages. Uh, oh, the um, names, the names in the pictures. I think there's six. Uh, there's thirteen. A lot of kids. A lot of kids. Um, oh my God! Is Yaheli on there? Yahel. Um, yeah, um, I can't really. I think she is. Yeah. She looks exactly like my daughter. She's so they're, they're not age. they're not back yet. Um, I think they're still in in Egypt or whatever. But it, they've been revealed who they are. That's a lot of the uh, the young uh, kids. There's uh, what uh, website are you looking at? I'm looking at the Israeli um, Channel Two website at the moment. All right, this is this is amazing news because the first batch that was released just made me feel jubilant all day so i can't wait to just study the faces of the people being released right now because it it's like a weight it's like taking a little bit of weight off of me person by person and you know this goes back to there's obviously there's a debate in israel and, and you know in the jewish community how much you should negotiate with terrorists and but i think when you look at these people in the face and you realize this is not just a number this is a human being and if we can get any human being back from the 240 that were taken it's a miracle and that's why i believe we should try everything and yes hamas has got us by the balls um i think the operation into gaza has caused a lot of uh pressure on them not enough pressure clearly because they're still playing games with us but you know what when we're done with this we will be back to, to fighting to get the rest of them back. I think and every Israeli and every, and I think many, many Jews around the world would say we have to keep going until everyone comes back. No matter exactly. what. Exactly. I feel the exact same way. And this doesn't even need to be said, but hopefully we can figure out a way to eliminate Hamas, get back our hostages and protect protect Gaza and civilians like in the cleanest way it's, it's such an impossible task but like well the debate i think that we here in the diaspora more not within the jewish community but certainly out outside is ceasefire 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 that's what they keep telling us we have to do immediate ceasefire that's what you're, you're saying that's what the protesters that's what the protest we had a massive protest in yeah. london today ceasefire 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 that's what i mean and let's be honest they're also protesting about other things like you know 
river to the sea, which is not really about ceasefire. That's about killing Jews. But I think that we have to contend a lot, especially if you meet a lot of non-Jews, with this concept of ceasefire, ceasefire. That's like kind of what you hear on a daily basis in the diaspora. And my my and I know from my friends that you know they they struggle with this. You know is because you know there's such um, a civilian death toll in in Gaza. But at the end of the day, what's the point of talking about ceasefire until we get all our hostages back? We could do a pause like we're doing now, and Israel has proven it can do a pause in fighting to get hostages back. But until we get everyone back, why would why should we ceasefire? Well, the the people who are on the street chanting scene ceasefire. Uh, they're 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 not actually calling for a ceasefire. They're calling for well, they're calling for Israel's because, surrender, and I think it's very difficult. Well, there's two groups. There's yeah. they're either there's people calling for Israel's surrender, and there's people who are ignorant and don't actually know that if if Israel stopped defending itself, stopped fighting, ceasefire in their eyes, that the the firing will continue for generations to come because there's no such thing as a ceasefire. When you're dealing with Hamas and Iran and the the and Hezbollah, the people that yeah. Iran are funding, there is no ceasefire. It's, it's not a thing. If Israel put down their weapons and stopped fighting, there wouldn't be a ceasefire. There would be a cease Israel. And I think if a cease Israel is what you want and what you're protesting about on the streets, then you should have the guts to say it and not use their smoke and mirrors and catchy catchphrases such as ceasefire. If you want cease Israel... Say cease Israel. I think there's a group of people that are, you know, they're using the word ceasefire um, because it's it's easy to say. It's not. It, it doesn't. It brings uh, what they want, which is the end, end to the killing. But it doesn't actually. It means still the end of Israel, and they don't really consider that because they don't really care. They don't. A. They don't understand. Um, the ceasefire crowd are anti peace. They're not out there saying we want Israeli and Palestinians no, to live in peace. I don't think the ceasefire crowd. I don't think the ceasefire crowd are anti peace. I think there's people that are again. They put their hands on their on their ears and their heads, and they're like, "Oh, I just want the killing to stop." And I understand that because they're not involved in the conflict. They don't understand the nitty gritty. I think the what's going to be interesting, and again, we hope for eventually this war will end. Hostages will come back. Hamas will no longer be there. Um. It's something we can discuss another time. What is the lasting legacy, not only on Israel's security and the region? And again, this war might continue on to Lebanon and etc. So let's, we're still very early days. But what is the legacy and what does life look like for Jews afterwards in, in the diaspora with people that we know have these opinions and, and, they, will, and they might remain those opinions? Um, they probably will. How does that look for us? And that doesn't look like the nicest world at the moment. But I mean, it's an interesting conversation that we can we can get into maybe another time because I think that's going to be something that we are all all Jews are going to have to contend with in the diaspora. However, I will say that for now, because again, as I said at the beginning, this is we this war is going to be highs and lows. We have to go through highs and lows. We have to enjoy the highs and deal with the lows together. And the highs at the moment is we've just got another 13 people uh, back. And I can't wait. And, I can't and wait you know to what? And Let's... just study who these people are. I, when we hang, it, this is real time happening for us. And I'm going to hang up on this call and just like look at every face of every released prisoner and just, and just fantasize about 
them having a warm yeah. meal and hugging their loved ones. I think I'm in the and, same boat as you. You know, when when we hear about these things, all we want to do is go watch it, uh, Israeli TV and feel like we're part of it. We feel like we're connected. I think a lot of Jews in the diaspora have this, and um, you know, I think we need to be happy and hopeful that we got these people and hopeful that we we're going to get more as much as we can. We will get and on to the next stage. So I'll leave you with that happy thought. I love that happy thought, Dora. I love your happy thoughts. Your happy thoughts make me so happy. Uh, that was very fun reminiscing with you today. Uh, I, I mean, we could we could do twenty episodes on on our past, and uh, yeah, let's let's look on to the future. And and next week when we're talking, let's do a count of how many hostages are released. Yeah, let's hope at the full fifty amount or even more. Fingers crossed. All right, all right, Dora. All right, Latov, Dora. Great talking to you. Good night. Bye-bye. My name's Jeff. I'm calling in from California. My name's Dora, and I'm joining you from London. Out of 16 million, we are two. Two freaked out Jews. <laughs>